Welcome to K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace John. Class is now in session. JTBC drama based on a web novel written by writers Han Kyung. The show is co-written by two writers. One of them is Kim Tae-hee, the other is Chang Eun-je. Writer Kim Tae-hee should not be confused with the actress Kim Tae-hee. These are different people. They just happen to have the same name. Writer Kim Tae-hee wrote the show's Hong Kyung-gwan scandal back in 2010, which Song Joong-gi also starred in, alongside Yoo Ah-in. One of the reasons why Song Joong-gi wanted to do this show so badly is because writer Kim Tae-hee was a part of this project, and he wanted to collaborate with her once again. When I was watching Reborn Rich, it was really hard for me to not think about the HBO show Succession, which is basically the same show as this, except Reborn Rich has the added gimmick of, you know, karmic rebirth or time travel or life swapping. Yeah, some kind of fantasy element in there, which a lot of K-dramas, of course, thrive on. But I will say that despite these overlaps that I've seen between Succession and Reborn Rich. The writer Kyung Han wrote Reborn Rich in 2017 and Succession premiered in 2018. So Kyung Han's story did come first, but there are these commonalities to these two stories. For instance, the whole like three sons, one daughter thing. I mean, that's in both shows. And then the part where a father finds out about his son murdering another person and using that secret as blackmail to uh, use in a power play. That's, of course, in both Succession and on this show. So I'm not going to say that one copied the other. Of course, I'm usually highly critical of K-dramas when they copy Hollywood because it is annoying. You know, it shows a sort of like lack of faith you know, shows sort of an insecurity. It's like, you're good. You're good enough. Just do your own thing. You don't have to copy another industry. But in this case, it's like, well, did this British writer copy this web novel? I don't know. I doubt it. I'm going to say that this pattern is a coincidence. But if it isn't, you know, only the only the person who did it knows. Okay. And whatever. In Reborn Rich, Song Joong-gi plays a mid-level manager at Sunyang Group, which is this major conglomerate. But then he gets shot in the head, and he's presumably dead. And then he is reborn as the youngest grandson to Sunyang Group's founder, Jin Yang-chul. And Jin Yang-chul very clearly seems to suffer from some kind of narcissistic personality disorder. He has a massive ego, which is just as fragile as it is massive, and he holds primogeniture in very high regard, which is something that is passed on from royalty, royalty all around the globe. Like, the eldest son is going to be the natural successor, the heir to the throne. 
And when Chin Yang Chud decides that he's going to throw this patrilineal concept out the window and that the success the succeeding title is up for grabs by anybody who shows the most competence, right? That's when there's uproar and disruption in the whole family harmony, right? Like everybody's like, oh shit, like I gotta fight for my bread and it just becomes chaos. Personally, I think it would have been a lot more radical to have the youngest granddaughter play that role rather than the youngest grandson because, you know, ultimately he's still a son. He's still playing the role of son as an heir but if it was a woman if it was a daughter that would have been far more crazy and radical right reborn rich in my opinion falls under this category that i like to call national self-reflection the reply series also falls under this category like reply 1988 reply 1994 reply 1997 they all are sort of marveling at korea's socioeconomic and socio-cultural progress over a couple of decades, primarily the 1990s and the early 2000s, or that transition into the new millennium. And these national self-reflection shows are, to an extent, navel-gazing. And the shows are looking at Korea's economic ruptures that shook the nation as a whole, but also these miraculous recoveries that the country made. So there is this sense of marveling and disbelief while the show is doing this retrospective, you know, sort of analysis of the nation's progress. If a country goes through massive leaps and bounds in a rapid pace, right, in this really condensed period, then there's always going to be some kind of psychological or emotional catching up that's going to be required. So the show serves a purpose to that extent, right? A lot of K-dramas talk about the IMF or Asian financial crisis. A lot of them talk about, you know, Korea's capitalistic uh, recovery from economic setbacks and they do this time and time again but there's always an angle right there's always an angle to reflect on these occasions and in this show very frankly it posits that there are some who never really recovered from the whole imf crisis i have an uncle for instance in korea who in the late 90s lost his office job because of the imf crisis and he never he never recovered like he was just depressed and then he relied on his wife who was mostly a homemaker all of her life on his wife and then his young sons to you know take care of him so uh the show does serve a purpose in that regard like how does how does an economic fallout impact a middle class family or a lower middle class family Talking about crises that happened in the 1990s or at the turn of the 21st century, you're naturally going to attract millennial viewers and Gen Z viewers because these two generations have lived through this era. So intertexts like Home Alone or Titanic or Sotteji, these are nostalgic calling cards for this two demographic. And they are probably the ones that are watching this stuff the most and bringing this show to such high ratings that it's like beating Sky Castle, right? So a national crisis like the IMF bailout and then the national celebration of the 2002 uh, World Cup Games where South Korea went to the semifinals, which was like unheard of. It was, it was unheard of. Uh, these historic events are very prominent 
in these generations' minds. And so the show is banking on this sort of nostalgic pleasure aspect as well. It's like, oh, you got the nostalgic suffering, right? The late 1990s, but then you also have that massive euphoric pleasure when the whole nation came together as one and was celebrating this huge achievement, athletic achievement. So nostalgia is, of course, a powerful tool on Reborn Rich to gauge some of these specific kinds of audiences. How are these national events going to be used by a person who knows that these events are on the horizon, right? How is he going to use them or leverage that to make his life better while he's embodying a different being? This is like a very fascinating question and concept, and that's what the show is interrogating. It's interrogating class differences, but through one individual, through one mind, essentially. Usually it's used through the bodies of a woman, right? Like a working class girl and she's about to marry a dude and it's like this whole thing. But no, this leaves that part out. In fact, romance is very marginal in this drama. You have the love interest, but like there are some episodes where I'm like, she's hardly there. You know, she's like a very easily forgettable character. So this is really not a rom-com, you know? And honestly, their romantic relationship was not that convincing <laughs> on a personal level. I was just like, there's no real chemistry or spark here. In fact, I haven't seen Song Joong-gi have chemistry or spark with any actress since Song Hye-kyo. And here's an idea. I would love to see a show with Song Joong-gi and Son Ye-jin together. I mean, I think that would be something really hot to see. Yeah, I would love to see that drama. I don't know if they made that drama yet. I don't know if they, they made that film yet, but I would like to see it. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good pairing. Try that. <laughs> Try that, please. The other success of this show and why it's so entertaining has a lot to do with the dramatic ego meltdowns that the players have throughout the series. And it's really what makes a K-drama a K-drama, okay? When you have a character who has to come face to face with the very thing that they've been working really hard to avoid the whole time, right? Like when they're finally cornered with their own ugly truth and they have to face it or they have to fess up to it or they have to eat it, that's when they start screaming on the top of their lungs, throwing shit, you know, punching their fist on the table, losing their minds, just like a hysterical scene. And this, this, this is what makes the show an opera. It becomes operatic. And then it, this over-the-topness campiness is actually what gives the show its epic quality because of the, the grand spectacle of this human meltdown. So whenever I saw actor Lee Sung-min scream and lose his shit, the guy who plays the grandpa, the chairman, it's like really entertaining to watch, you know? It's like, oh my God, this guy's ego. And that's also where you realize like ego has no bottom. Like ego is a bottomless pit. When you pair ego with anger, ego, entitlement, anger, and rage, oh my gosh. Like that character can scream forever and they will never be satiated. So the show is entertaining to see because characters have to face their downfall in a really intense way. And yeah, their, their ego wound is what we're all looking at, right? This gaping ego wound. And that's sort of the reason why we were all entertained by shows like Sky Castle, World of the Married. You have a lot of scenes like that where people are losing their shit over an ego wound. Song Joong-gi is such an interesting actor for me to watch because he's so quiet and he's so restrained, 
but he's also very precise. He's a very precise actor. Uh, and all throughout his quiet intensity, there's this deliberateness and focus. Yeah, he's he's a pretty pretty decent actor. I, I it'd be interesting to see like what different kinds of work he'll start doing after a series like this. Seeing Tiffany from Girls' Generation on this show was surprising to me. I was like, I've never seen Tiffany on a K-drama before. And turns out this is her first time playing a supporting role on a show. I've seen her on television before. Like, I saw her as a regular on the show Sister Slam Dunk, which was a KBS variety show. But she got cut from the series, like, pretty early on because of some social media confusion or mishap but Tiffany's acting chops are kind of there she's done a couple of musicals in her career and this is her first k-drama series I mean I think she's maybe still finding her footing you know like she's you know mid-30s k-pop star former k-pop star now like what is she gonna do I mean it'd be interesting to see what moves she makes throughout the industry to wrap I mean it's Christmas day this is Christmas day when I'm recording this and I guess I will I will have to sort of declare my top favorite shows, you know. I'm going to name four. So uh, number four on the list I'm going to say is Extraordinary Attorney Wu. Uh, really excellent show. A lot of heart. It's like an easy show. It's like, it's very formulaic, you know. It's like easy to digest while tackling very diverse themes and diverse issues. And then the show Our Blues, I love that show. I mean, I love the writer. The writer is phenomenal. And I love the cast. I mean, what an ensemble cast. And such intensity, such emotional intensity while watching that. So I would name Our Blues as another show that I love. I'm going to say 2521 was also a good show. It's not like this, you know, spectacular kind of show that's like, oh my god, this show. But it's, oh, and oh my god, 2521, that's definitely a national self-reflection show. It just occurred to me. I mean, that's like definitely a nostalgia show. I guess there's another show right now, like uh, 20th Century Girl or something. That's like floating around Netflix. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm sure that's also thematic, thematically in line with what I've been talking about. But yeah, 2521, the reason why I like that show is because it was so unique. It's a very unique show. Like, there are so many aspects about that show that I've never seen in any other drama. And that's why I would name that show as one of my favorite this past year. And I would say, of course, I mean, this, you know, if you've been listening to my podcast, you wouldn't be surprised. But I would say my number one favorite show of the year is My Liberation Notes. I think that writer is definitely a gifted writer. She's somebody special. And what a fabulous show like that show absolutely unique there will never be another show like that and i i hope never to see a show just like that you know like that show is just that in and of itself and i want to see something different you know those are my top four shows of 2022 and i will see you all in the year 2023